0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is September 18th, 2023. And as we do each week, let's begin by taking a moment of silence to link up with all Triangles members throughout the world, and then follow that by a sounding of the noontime recollection.
1: We know, O Lord,
0: of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too
1: may love and give.
0: So we'd like to extend a warm welcome to any of you who might be New to this webinar and to the work of triangles. And we hope that through your participation, you will be encouraged to form a triangle. And if you're already a member of triangles, we also welcome you to participate together in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of the triangles network. This work in triangles is a service activity and outgrowth of the Arcane School, and was begun in 1937. So it's well-established, but not so widely known. And the spread of the work can be undertaken by all of us through reaching out in our environment to open-minded individuals whom we think might be interested in participating. But also we can do Our work in stimulating the network each day through our Triangle's work, but also by taking moments throughout the day to visualize the network and to see it radiating with energies of light and love throughout all humanity. Through that means we not only serve the purposes of the plan, but we also Serve to increase the magnetism and radiation of the triangle's network. So we can take those moments and that might be the most effective means of spreading the work. So the actual daily practice is quite simple. It simply involves linking up with two other people. You don't have to do so at the same time or in the same locality. And you simply visualize a lighted triangle between the three of you. And when that link is established, you can connect then with the worldwide web of people who are also members of triangles. And as that web is visualized, you sound the great invocation, which is a world prayer and a supreme vehicle for the release and distribution of spiritual energies into the environment. So it's a relatively simple and um, brief practice which can be fit into any schedule so we thank you all those of you who are members of triangles for participating and for those of you who are new we encourage you to form a triangle you can do so by placing your name in the chat box if you so choose So as we do each week, let's begin with just a brief visualization.
1: Let's visualize a
0: lighted triangle composed of the three planetary centers. Shambhala at the
1: apex, the planetary head center. the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity, the planetary throat center. And visualize
0: these three spheres of lighted energy merging and blending one with the other and filling
1: the triangle with light.
0: And in the center of that lighted sphere, we visualize a five-pointed star, the star of the world teacher,
1: blending east and west, past and future, radiating the energy of love wisdom, And now visualize from the center
0: of that triangle, from the Christ, a gigantic release of the energies of love,
1: light, and power.
0: Visualizing the planet now as a sphere of lighted energy, with a grid of golden triangles surrounding
1: it releasing sparks of light and love raining down upon the planet.
0: Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place, and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the
1: darkness into day. Oh.
0: So after our meditation today, we're going to have three guests, Dot Maver and Wendy Thompson, returning participants, who will be sharing some thoughts on the third stanza of The Great Invocation, which is our theme today. And Dot and Wendy are the founder co-founders of the Global Silent Minute, among other activities. And today we also have a new presenter, Judy Harrison. And she's been a longtime student on the spiritual path, anchored in the teachings of the Ageless Wisdom for the past forty years. And she's dedicated to world service, and she's involved with the consciousness as a group member of the Economy of the One Life through the 17 Sustainable Development Goals in conjunction with the 2025 Initiative. And we have a special um, presentation by Judy because at the close of our Triangles Meditation today, Judy will be signing the Great Invocation. And so that's a special gift that she's going to be sharing with us. And then at the close of today's webinar, she will also be shining, signing, excuse me, a passage from the reappearance of the Christ to close our work today. So we hope you can all stay to see that beautiful work of hers. So as I said, our work today is with the first stanza of The Great Invocation. And This is considered a difficult uh, stanza because it deals with the spiritual will, the first ray of will or power, and with this highest center, the center Shambhala. And this is an energy, this divine will is an energy that even the hierarchy is seeking to understand. And so for we, humanity, It is, as yet, a complete mystery, but nonetheless, we are charged with collectively learning to become responsive to it. Shambhala is the home of the divine will and the place of pure spirit. It's a center of fire. It's ineffable, unknown, but it is faintly sensed and has been throughout time. It's the dwelling place of the Most High, the Silent Watcher, who stands behind all outer seeming, and who, with the seven spirits before the throne of God, wields extraplanetary forces which are needed to carry forward the processes of planetary evolution in accordance with his purpose which he set some 18 and a half million years ago, when he first came to this dark and quiet planet. But now we're told, as a consequence of human mental development, for the first time in planetary history, a group has emerged, the new group of world servers, which is capable of aiding this silent watcher in his work, aiding his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And this is a tremendous evolutionary leap within the life of our planet. And so <clears throat> it demonstrates the key role which this group holds in working the working out of this will aspect. So the sequence sequence of energy precipitation runs from the great lords in Shambhala who are able to contact and embrace the livingness of extraplanetary sources. And these energies are then appropriated by the spiritual hierarchy who step them down through the means of the blueprint of the plan. And their work manifests through the civilizations. It's a long-term work that they undertake. But they, in turn, step down that plan through the new group of world servers and through the thinking agents in the world who are charged with working out the immediate step of the plan within the three worlds of human expression and distributing the energies to the three lower kingdoms in nature. The Christ is coming to distribute the spiritual will to humanity who will stand as a manifestation of the will. And a major part of the preparatory work going on today is accustoming humanity to the energies from this highest center, which has been occurring over the last two centuries and is particularly active now at this first quarter of the 21st century. Culminating, we're told, in the conclave in 2021. So the will energies have been building, strengthening, and humanity is challenged to appropriate these energies. The will to good, which works out among the human kingdom as goodwill. We're told that the first anchoring of this will aspect by humanity occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane 2,000 years ago when the Christ made that first tenuous contact. But even today, after 21 centuries have passed, there is as yet little more than a thin, frail line of connecting energy between that highest center and humanity. But even this tenuous thread is sufficient, we're told, for humanity could to contribute to the task of driving evil back to the place from whence it came, and to thereby aid in releasing humanity from the terror which is stalking abroad. Will ends desire. It's a propulsive, driving force, stabilizing, clarifying, And finally, destroying that which inhibits the manifestation of the plan. One of the difficulties today we're told facing the hierarchy is for the people of goodwill to recognize that part of the purpose of God, which works out in the destruction of evil and its material consequences. This is hard for the good people. Of the world to understand and accept. And the Tibetan wrote that one of the difficulties posed by people who refuse such recognitions is that they act as a millstone around the neck of humanity, crippling true effort and all the time whispering, Let us love God and each other, but doing nothing but murmuring prayers. And platitudes while humanity is dying. This is the situation from the perspective of the hierarchy. So let us set our goal and our intention to serve and spread love in our surroundings using our triangles, meditation,
1: Angles meditation group integrating as a group, focusing ourselves on the mental plane at the center of the cross. Lincoln thought as a soul
0: as a point of love and light with all people throughout the world who are working in this Triangle's meditation group. Projecting a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, we sound the affirmation of love. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and
1: throughout the world. Visualization
0: Using the creative imagination Link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. alignment between your triangle, the planetary network of triangles, the group soul,
1: and the world teacher. Hold the group mind open to the empowering energies of love.
0: Precipitation. Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network from point to point and flowing out through the network into the hearts and minds of people everywhere.
1: Linking again with the spiritual
0: hierarchy, we sound the mantra of unification. The sons of men are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve, and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere.
1: So now we're going to
0: ask Judy to come and sign as we sound the adapted wording of the Great Invocation.
1: The Great Invocation. From the point of light, within the mind of God. Let light stream forth into human minds.
0: Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God,
1: let love
0: stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one
1: from the center
0: which we call the human race. Let the plan of love and light work out
1: and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth oh. Oh.
0: And now we would like to ask Judy to share a few words with us on signing as well as on the Great Invocation uh, third stanza.
1: Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. So I've been asked to speak today about my experience
2: when signing the Great Invocation Uh, Kathy had participated in a meditation, which I did, and ended by signing this beautiful mantra. And she felt uh, that she would like to share this experience with the group. And now, having experienced it for yourself, I'd like to offer some thoughts about the great invocation through the lens of sign language. So a bit about me. While I'm not originally a native signer, I have a daughter who became profoundly deaf as an infant. So to support her growth, sign language became a way of communicating and life within our household. She is currently a thriving part of the deaf community and we've been signing together for 30 years. I thank my daughter for this beautiful gift of expression and a way of understanding the world. Without going too deeply into the subject, I'd like to point out a few characteristics pertaining to sign language. As a mode of expression, sign language is quite unique when compared to spoken language. Speech, as we know, is auditory and linear temporal, where words are spoken in an ordered sequence through time. While signing is a visual spatial language, where meaning, not words, is expressed manually through the hands, including their shape, their orientation, their placement, and movement through space. It has its own grammar structure and rules and is not, as some believe, coded English. There is no written form. The sign language I use is ASL or American Sign Language. What one becomes immediately aware of when signing is that language comes through one's body, as opposed to being a mental construct that becomes separated from oneself, as words do. During signing, one participates physically in expressing ideas and feelings. Energy is part of the communication exchange and is viscerally experienced. When signing subtleties of language, they are visually expressed through face and body. Communication between people cannot happen without direct eye contact. And so relationship becomes more integral within the exchange. As a student of the Ageless Wisdom for over 40 years, one effect of sign language is that I am sensitized to feeling and experiencing energy Just as communication goes through me, so does energy. And when I
1: sign in meditation, I am aware that I am moving etheric energy through space. So now, considering the great invocation, how does sign language
2: support invocation and evocation as presented in this great mantra? To start with, when signing, it is space that is used to establish relationship. It is space that distinguishes energetic levels of vibration, and it is space through which energy is moved. To give an example, when I place my hands to represent the mind of God, the heart of God, or God's purpose, as I hold a meditative point of tension, it creates an etheric impact or imprint. <laughs> Excuse me a minute
1: Ultra. So this is an experience energetically,
2: where movement between different levels of vibration is experienced as energy released and energy flow. Additionally, when light and love or purpose is moved through the ethos, I experience that it both facilitates the exchange and helps to communicate an energetic relationship between these levels, in this case, between God, hierarchy, and man. As I communicate relationships through sign language, I also feel its effects, depending upon mine and the group's ability to hold point of meditative tension, as energy is moved through space. So not only do I experience this as the signer, but in alignment with group, so do others. In telepathy and the etheric vehicle, we read that the entire universe is etheric and vital in nature, and all are found existing in space, which is an entity. The glory of man, this is a quote, lies in the fact that he is aware of space as the field of divine living activity, full of active intelligent life forms, each placed in the etheric body of this unknown entity, each related to each other through the potency which is not only holding them together in being, but which preserves their position in relation to each other. That's page 178. So in many ways, signing while holding a meditative intent brings the meaning of this statement to life. Signing while meditating becomes a mudra and energy is registered. Through sign language, I embody not only the energy, but the exchange itself within a relationship. So light streaming forth into the minds of men as an exchange of energy, is felt as I step it down from the mind of God. Through sign language, I tangibly experience all that is being represented from multiple perspectives. So not only do I stand as God pouring forth, but also as humanity receiving. I am both poles, if you will. It is why I believe that I was impressed to express myself meditatively by signing the great invocation, during the Leo full moon. Since the signing medium could break through the meaning behind the keynote, I am that, and that am I. Sign language, I believe, anchors energy and relationships within the ethers. While this can't be proved, it is my felt sense and experience that it is so. Another point is that sign language supports not only embodying, but also identifying as, since I become energetically through representation what I am communicating and who I am representing. During sign language, I am able to connect the inner subjective with the outer expression, since communication, as I mentioned, goes through me rather than from me. And finally, it challenges me to visualize as accurately as possible and to consider the nuances of what is being spoken of in order to correctly represent intent energetically.
1: What does God's purpose look like? What does it feel like? How can I best show it? These are questions
2: that I pondered before signing. This helps to grow thought forms, expand visualization skills, and enhance one's capacity to receive. In other words, it is a gift to aspirants and disciples, and it is a gift to me. Finally, I'd like to offer a deeper look into meaning and significance that are brought forth to me through signing the Great Invocations. For example, when signing the Mind of God, I realized that I had to include the sign for big or universal to more accurately represent God's mind. And furthermore, I realized that the point of light became alive where I touched the field. Or as science would explain it, a quantum entanglement was experienced. That is, what I have come to understand by this is that the point brings forth the light wherever it is imagined meaning that the light is everywhere and there for the relating. When I receive energy, I am using my centers to receive on behalf of humanity. My centers are also used when God is pouring forth. In this way, I am identifying with each through my centers and also registering relationship. Standing as both God and humanity, I experience oneness. The access or relationship between the two become the Atta In EP2, we read, the attractive power of God's instinctual nature and its capacity to synthesize, to attract and to blend cooperates with the unrealized potency of man's own nature and makes his eventual at-one-ment with God in life and purpose, an inevitable, irresistible occurrence. When the energy of life, will, and love form forth to humanity through God's mind, heart, and purpose, I realize that this duality is held together etherically in a radiant magnetic relationship, which is established. This becomes a bridge or the Antakaran. As I experience God pouring forth, there's an understanding that each stanza represents one of God's three aspects within the first ray. I have also realized that first men's hearts are filled with love, and then Christ, or the coming one, returns to earth. This indicates a need for preparation that I had not initially thought of when hearing the words alone. While signing, I have found myself impulsed to hold evil in its place where it dwells, and so I have begun to use the sign for permanent, one thumb pressing down upon the other. Doing so has left me with the t- sensation that I both affect and participate in an outcome. Again, I can't be sure, but I sense meditatively that I am manipulating etheric substance. As I sign, David life seems to be aroused by this communication modality of moving the ethers in space. And they seem to be strongly responsive to this communication. My last sharing around the meaning and significance that I have come to appreciate through signing the great invocation is that the two centers, Shambhala and humanity, held in relationship through light and love feels one to be a template of the other. This is a visceral understanding of the statement, as above, so below, and adds another component to the relationship. I hope that through my sharing, your understanding of what is possible has been enhanced. In actuality, you don't need to sign to have these experiences. Rather, it's important to energetically feel the words you are expressing, vibrationally move with the energy and visualize the thoughts that you speak. In closing, I'd like to thank Kathy and the Triangles Forum for inviting me to reflect on what I have come to experience and receive through signing the Great Invocation. This opportunity has given me greater clarity regarding the gifts of the Great Invocation by being able to step outside of my experience and look on it as a trained observer. So thank you. If you have thank further- you.
0: Thank you so much, Judy. I'm sure that everyone appreciated what you had to say about your experiences signing the Great Invocation. And we look forward to closing again with another manifestation of this Incredible technique of working with energy. So, thank you. So, now I'd like to welcome Wendy and ask you to share your screen. Okay, there you go. Okay. Hi, Wendy.
1: You
3: can hear me, Kathy? Yes. Okay, great. All right. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you, Judy. So um, this section is focusing on the third stanza of the third stanza or version of the original Great Invocation. And this presentation will consist of a snapshot of the context of the use of the Great Invocation. That will be followed by a few words and images in relation to Shambhala, the centre where the will of God is known. And a key idea about the secret of the will and then how the will differs from desire, a brief look at anchoring, the anchoring of the first thread of divine will in humanity, why the will is needed today and how we can cooperate through group use and understanding to strengthen the anchoring Of the will through our use of the Great Invocation. So, firstly, the context. So, we're focusing on the third stanza of the first third version of the original Great Invocation. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men. The purpose which the masters know and serve. And here's the entire third version of the Great Invocation, which we will be sounding at the end of this session. So the Great Invocation was given out in three versions or stanzas over nine years, which included the earthly event of the second phase of the World War. So there's stanza one in 1936, stanza two in 1940, stanza three, 1945. So briefly, the first stanza or version of the Great Invocation is a call to the forces of light and love through the agency of the spirit of peace, also known as the spirit of equilibrium. Its outstanding note was and is deep extraplanetary peace. And the spirit of peace is not an abstract concept, but a potent interplanetary agent of great power who, among other functions, vitalizes the responsiveness of humanity via the hierarchy to the will of God. And hence the work of the spirit of peace is not just connected with love but ultimately related to will. The second stanza or version of the Great Invocation released in 1940 progressed the evolutionary journey through using the invocation as a demand, not a prayer, to invoke the forces of life through the agency of the Lords of Liberation. And as we evoke the Lords of Liberation, they will respond. This invocation has required humanity to participate in visualising greater dimensions of freedom. And the third stanza, or version of the Great Invocation, was released five years later, 1945, with its focus on creating a circulatory flow between and among the three centres, Shambhala, hierarchy and humanity, sealing the door where evil dwells and restoring the plan
1: on earth. And we'll
3: return to that at the end of this session. For this great invocation, seven very ancient word forms were translated into understandable and adequate English for this version. It's interesting to note that stanza one of the great invocation has been used ever since 1425 by the hierarchy, though the Tibetan says it's a thousand years older than that. The invitation for humanity to cooperate with the hierarchy in using the Great Invocation is relatively recent, from 1936 onwards. The Great Invocation is a world or universal invocation that voices the destiny and plan for humanity in the Aquarian Age. It is Christ's own mantram for the Aquarian age. So Shambhala, which is spelt in a couple of different ways.
1: The centre where the will of
3: God is known is known as Shambhala. It has a connection with the Avatar Synthesis and it is known as the place of peace also the spirit of peace in relation to his work with the deepest aspect of peace, its essence or fire. The highest of the triangle of the three planetary centres, Shambhala stands with the hierarchy in humanity, but is it also a geographical location? In their travels through the Altai Himalayas, Helena and Nicholas Rorick, founder of the Yoga of Synthesis, both wrote about Shambhala, and Nicholas rendered into the art form of paintings, images of Shambhala. In the words of the first ray master, Shambhala is called the indispensable site where the spiritual world joins the material. And just as books can serve as portals through to underlying realities, so too can the paintings. As we look at a few Nicholas Rorick paintings that have Shambhala in their title, experience what magnetically impresses you in relation to this energy of will emanating from Shambhala. And this painting on the screen is entitled, Song of
1: Shambhala. And this one, Way to Shambhala. And this one,
3: At Midnight, Light of Shambhala. It is said that Shambhala must be found not geographically, but first of all, in spirit, the highest and the deepest aspect of our identity.
1: The title of this painting is
3: Message of Shambhala, Bala Arrow Letter. In the book New Era Community, it is asked, What are the signs of the time of Shambhala?
1: And the signs of the time of Shambhala are the age of truth and cooperation. It
3: is said that if we penetrate, even in a small way, into Shambhala, we will perceive a greater reality which causes the harp strings of humanity to vibrate. That's a beautiful idea, isn't it? Imagining the harp strings of humanity vibrating in harmonic resonance with Shambhala as one pure sound.
1: the secret of the will.
3: The secret of the will lies in the recognition of the divine nature of humanity. Imagine humanity as a whole, recognising its essential divinity. In recognising our true identity, we remember that we are spiritual beings who live simultaneously, within the three worlds of spirit, soul and personality. The secret of the will is also closely tied in with the recognition of the unconquerable nature of goodness and the inevitability of the ultimate triumph of good.
1: The will can be
3: mistaken for desire, but it differs from desire. The will is not determination. The will is not whipping up or stimulating desire so that it can be transmuted into will. The will is not an implacable, unshakable, immovable focusing of all energies in the need to triumph and the enemies of the forces of light are adept at that. The will is not an iron fixation to stand steady and not yield to evil forces. These are aspects of desire, the strongest force in the world. The will has a quality of spirit, spiritual will. It is the distinctive feature of the Shambhala force, It is that peculiar and distinctive quality of divinity which is so different that even Christ himself was unable to express it with facility and understanding when he was in incarnation. Hence, we have the episode in Gethsemane with the anchoring of the first thread of divine will. The Tibetan or Master Dwal Kul says that we are apt to forget that the crisis in the final hours of the Christ was not in those spent upon the cross, but during those spent in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his will, in agony and almost despair, was submerged in that of the Father and was summed up in this statement. Father, not my will but thine be done. The Tibetan says that something new yet planned for from the very depths of time happened then in that quiet garden some 2,000 odd years ago. Christ, representing humanity, anchored or established the Father's will on earth and made it possible for intelligent humanity to carry it out Hitherto, the will had been known in the Father's house. It had been recognized and adapted to world need by the spiritual hierarchy working under the Christ and thus took shape as the divine plan. Today, because of what Christ did in his moment of crisis, humanity can add its efforts to the working out of that plan. The will to good of the Father's house, can become the goodwill of the kingdom of God and be transformed into right human relations by intelligent humanity. Thus the direct line or thread of God's will reaches now from the highest place to the lowest point and can in due time become a cable of ascension for the sons of men and of descent for the loving, living Spirit of God. Thus Christ registered a tenuous, frail thread of divine will in the heart of his human physical vehicle in the Garden of Gethsemane, demonstrating the possibility for all humanity to do the same. At that time in the garden, those closest to him, his disciples, slept. Their consciousness was not awake in awareness to the significance of the event. And subsequently at the crucifixion, though not physically asleep, they were preoccupied with their own grief. The Tibetan says that the subtle and subjective sin of the disciples was that they were not interested in evoking the living activity of the master on his own behalf, but were entirely preoccupied with their own grief. He says the evocation, had they attempted it, would have been useless, but the good that might have come to them and the revelation they might have received as to the deathlessness of the soul would have greatly illuminated them and might have produced a Christianity built around a living Christ and not around a dead Christ. Imagine that, what a tremendous sliding doors moment. Had the disciples remained awake to the opportunity of the moment and not being preoccupied with their own grief at what they thought was loss, it may have resulted in a Christianity built around a living Christ and the last 2,000 odd years might have developed in ways we're on the brink of experiencing right now, depending on where our preoccupation lies.
1: Why the will is needed
3: today. The will's needed today as a propelling expulsive force and also as a clarifying, purifying agent, perhaps to assist humanity to wake up to the living Christ, the essence and aliveness of spirit that resides within and is everywhere present. The Shambhala energy relates to the livingness, through consciousness and form of humanity. It concerns the establishing of right human relations and is that condition of being which eventually negates the power of death. It is incentive, it is realised purpose and not the expression of desire. Desire works from and through the material form upwards Will works downwards into form, bending form consciously to divine purpose. As we come to understand and work with the will in groups, we identify with this shambalic force and recognise and experience its livingness as it liberates humanity from the illusions and confinement of forms that have long passed their use by day. It's interesting in the painting by Salvador Dali the point of identification he chose from which to render it. It's not from the perspective of those nearest and dearest and the crowd within the manifest world looking up at him on the cross. It is from a point above, an otherworldly point Almost pendant in space, in the world, yet not of the world. Perhaps identified with Shambhala, the place of peace, the centre where the will of God is known. It's almost as if Dali is rendering to the degree one can through the medium of art an image of what it might have been for the disciples if they had evoked the living activity of the Christ at this moment in his evolutionary journey. It's also interesting that Nicholas Rorick, as far as I'm aware, did not paint the crucifixion. He did, however, paint the living Christ, tirelessly continuing his work in this painting entitled Signs of Christ. Perhaps today we might consider our beautiful planet as a garden, a gesemic garden, as we strive amidst the challenge of the age to stay awake and alive in awareness to the tenets of the time of Shambhala with our focus on truth and cooperation, will we identify with the will of God, the will of Shambhala. And finally, cooperating through group use and understanding to strengthen the anchoring of the will through our use of the great invocation.
1: We are speaking
4: about Christ's own mantra. We are actually speaking Christ's own mantra when we sound the great invocation. What a joy to cooperate with as we stay awake to what is unfolding in this time and identify with the will of Shambhala. We need the strengthening of our identification with divine will at this time to assist with rebalancing of relationship between the three centers, Shambhala, hierarchy, humanity. The great invocation offers us this opportunity and it is up to us to sound it as a demand, not a prayer. We have an opportunity weekly through triangles to do just that. And then we work daily with our triangles as part of the planetary network of triangles. The work is ongoing and making a difference. So let's take advantage of this triangles opportunity right now, knowing that the secret of the will lies in the recognition of the divine nature of humanity knowing that the triangle in the great invocation when we say let light and love and power restore the plan on earth is buddha light the spirit of peace love the avatar of synthesis power and knowing That as we unite our hearts across distance, linking with our triangles in the worldwide network, sounding the great invocation, knowing the power of our group use and intention, we are a powerful source of invocation and offer ourselves as an equally powerful evocative point of service, shining the light and strengthening the hands of the forces of light. So, we take just a moment and consciously identify with Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known.
1: Feel the harp strings of humanity vibrating. And now
4: we sound the original great invocation as given to Alice Bailey. We sound it intentionally as a demand into the
1: hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide
4: the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men,
1: Oh Thank you, Dot and
0: Wendy, for that thoughtful presentation about the will aspect. It was very clear and potent. And now we'll post in our chat box the the passage that Judy will sign for us now, and we'll close with this.
1: When the Christ,
0: the avatar of love, makes his appearance, then the sons of men who are
1: now the sons of God
0: withdraw their faces from the shining light and radiate that light upon the sons of men who know not yet they are the sons of God.
1: Then shall the coming one appear.
0: His footsteps hastened through the valley of the shadow by the one of awful power.
1: Who stands upon the mountaintop Breathing out love eternal, light supernal, and peaceful, silent will. Then will the sons of men respond.
0: Then will a newer light shine forth into the dismal, weary vale of earth.
1: Then will new life course through the veins of men. And then will their vision compass all the ways of what may be. So peace will come again on earth.
0: But a peace unlike aught known before. Then peace will blossom forth as understanding. And understanding blossom as goodwill in men.
1: Thank you, Judy, and thank you, everyone.